Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is the number. The text or the WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Twitter is at opinionline96. Follow our hashtag, which is hashtag OL96. And contact us always via Facebook, the Corks 96FM Facebook page. And address your message for the attention of the opinion line. Michal did... What Michal was threatening to do. He threatened to do it here on this program last week and last night he went and did it. The country will now not be progressing to phase four of the revised roadmap. I do acknowledge it's a hammer blow for for the publicans. Which means no pubs that were supposed to open on the 20th will now open on the 20th. This morning, the pubs are hitting back. I think that they've really got to look at whether they're going to allow alcohol to continue to be sold in supermarkets. Sounds like it's war between the publicans and the Taoiseach. Now, he did say he might do it, given the rise in the numbers, given the numbers of people gathering in areas like Dublin and Temple Bar and all of that. We saw the videos. You heard the Taoiseach here on this programme. Uh, shortly after he was appointed, saying that he wouldn't hesitate not to go forward any anymore. Well, he, he has now gone by his word and he's not going forward anymore. The pubs that were supposed to open will not reopen on Monday. The restaurants can stay open, but he's also threatening that he'll clamp down on them again if he has to. And the publicans are rightly annoyed. That's Padraig Cribben, who's the head of the VFI. And he's pretty much saying to the Taoiseach this morning, you're looking in the wrong place for the problem. I think that they've really got to look at whether they're going to allow alcohol to continue to be sold in supermarkets. War declared. Not only has he got war declared in his own cabinet room, he's now got war declared between him and the publicans. Let's go to a publican, Paul Montgomery. Now, Paul, I know Clancy's is open, but... Still, it's it's a difficult time for everyone in the trade. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, it's it's it was probably something that was well flagged over the last week. I think particularly because of one or two incidents, and um, you can hear Padraig Cribben alluding to there that some of the um, gatherings probably in Kerry and in Clare and Hinch and different places. There's a lot of talk about a lot of house parties and a lot of new cells of COVID nineteen starting up because of that. You know. Yeah, because last weekend we were only talking about a big house party in Kerry and they've traced nearly 30 people to a house party in Kerry. Like, the pubs had nothing to do with that. No, and I I think that this this is ever since 
the restrictions were started to be discussed about being lift, lifted. I think the warning was always there that we go backwards if we don't go forwards. And unfortunately, the R rate that they're talking about is, I was even surprised to see it last night that it's gone up to 1.2 and, and above, you know, and we weren't 0.7. Mm. And, that's, and, that's, and that's the worry, you know. And look, at we're... We're extremely conscious about it, and ever since we reopened, you know, two weeks last Monday, we have been very, very conscious of taking the precautions, and you know, to to, to hope that we can that we don't have outbreaks, that we don't have outbreaks on our premises, that we don't have outbreaks all over the city, and all over the country, because we're we're living in fear that um, our premises will be shut down again if the hour rate keeps going the wrong way. Is he focusing his ire in the wrong direction, though? Well, you know, I spoke to publicans in Dublin about the incident that happened the first weekend that was reported in um, in Dame Street and a few places in Dublin. And, you know, they had said to me there that it was down to one or two venues, you know, and maybe even one venue that the guards were on top of. And that was people selling drink, you know, carry out drink on the street and crowds gathering. Like, there is no doubt about it that the only way that we can operate in any type of restaurants or bars are that people have to be on their seats and they have to get served in the seats. Like, if you have a situation that, whether it be on any street in Cork or in any area, that crowds are gathering which either carry out or from bars or from takeaways, and gathering in crowds, it's going to be very hard to control that. And that's something that can't be allowed. And whatever chance we have of social distancing, we have to do it. It has to be table service. And that's the only way that we're going to be able to keep in operation. How have, you been, co- how have you been faring out so far? And I know you've got that lovely outside atmosphere on Princess yeah. Street at the moment, and it's all going swimmingly by all accounts. Yeah. Inside the pub itself, how have you been doing? It's actually we're, we're we're probably fortunate enough because we have space, PJ. You know, and we we have a we have a roof terrace that that we can that we can have you know seventy people up there and socially distance in the two meters and stuff. So like we're we're fortunate because of the space we have, and we had adapted that over the month previous. We put put a lot of work into doing that and creating boots and adapting it. Now, I would say a hundred percent of the people that have come into us and to neighbouring businesses have said, whether it's outside or inside, they appreciate the social distancing. That is what's coming back loud and clear and people are coming back and customers are coming back. So it isn't a case that people are saying, oh, geez, we were just mad to get out for a pint or for a cocktail or whatever. They appreciate at every age level, from 20s right up to people in their 70s and 80s, they're saying that it's the cleanliness, the disinfection, mm. the, the distance, and that's what people are really, really concerned about. Nobody wants to get COVID-19. That's what I know. And, you know, people will stay at home rather than risk getting COVID-19. Is it profitable for you in the present format? Well, you know, it's the wage subsidy scheme, the possibility that VAT might come down because, you know, there's still tech, there's still VAT breaks at the moment in terms of, you know, there was a VAT holiday before we closed. They're looking at, obviously, at the VAT again and VAT payments will, will start coming up now. But if if we have the subsidies and if we have the various help, helping hand along the way, we will be able to continue to stay open. And a big reason for that is the the cooperation with Cork City Council, the Gardaí and the fire people that were allowed to use Princess Street 
because that has been a lifesaver for us and that has been a lifesaver for all our businesses on the street. And on that basis, PJ, we'll be able to keep going. I don't think any venue will be able to keep going at 50% or 40% capacity with the staffing levels needed to do table service um, without the help in hand that we're getting from local authority and from national government. To be very fair, and I was one of the ones who flagged and, and raised the alarm that maybe it would happen, but to be very fair, I think prices have remained relatively stable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see, again, that's the commentary that people are saying, you know, that if they can come in and get their, you know, their meal, you saw the nine euro um, limit that was on there. But in general, if people are eating their dinner for 12, 13 euros, 14 euros, they're, that's, they're comfortable with that, you know. And, you know, you have to take a wide variety. Like our our age profile is is, as I said to you earlier, is over a wide spectrum of ages. It isn't one demographic, and that's... So you can't have an expensive dish that will suit all age groups. Like, yeah. you have to make sure. So that's, that's important. I mean, there was various talks about, you know, charging minimum amounts or charging an interest fee or whatever. That's just not going to work. And yeah. we charge a deposit for the tables coming in, and that is working for us. But it's a minimum amount, you know, between four people. It's, it's you know, 20 euros. It's not a... It's not a huge amount of money, but like, and equally, we, we've been, we have been so thankful to all the customers who are booked. Everyone has showed up, you know, yeah. on time. We're having a fierce problem with no shows. I'll be getting to that at some stage later this yeah. morning. But no show, yeah. I think it's, the, uh, it's utterly disrespectful it not is, to show we, up we, to a place we, these we, days. We are not experiencing that, you know. So, I mean, we, we, we have to say that overall, that has been, that has been quite, and it's been learning for us because. We were jumping in at the deep end as well. We didn't know. We never did this before, PJ, but like we, we've been quite happy to do it. And I, I think the customer experience has been good so far. And that's what we really, I've said this before on your show, is like, it's up to us now to give people as good a night as possible when, when they do come in because it's limited, you know, in terms of the entertainment, in terms of movement. But I think that people, they're still getting out. They're still getting to have their favourite drink. They're still yeah. getting to have their favourite food. Can, can you clarify something for me, Paul, though? Yeah. Is it the want. case that the serving of drink must cease with the closure of the kitchen? Is that true? Well, with the restaurant licence, you have an hour after your last um, after your last order. You know, so, so So there, there, there is there's a, there's a time spent there. Well, for example, on the street now, you know, we have agreement with the guards and Cork City Council that our, our last orders are at half past ten, so we can have the place cleared for half eleven, and that's that's coinciding generally inside. I mean, our, our kitchen is open past half ten at the moment, but that's just because of dealing, trying to deal and manage the volume of covers and spread it out. Yeah. So, but we again, we don't have an issue with that. People are generally happy that after they have their food or they have their drinks before and after, and people are enjoying their drinks, you know. But we haven't. We haven't had an, an issue with a security issue. We don't have drunkenness issue. You know, it's fairly well, you know, controlled. And, and I mean, I'm talking about on behalf of nearly ten premises on on, on the on the street. You know, yeah. and Quinlan is open next week as well. So, like, there's there's a, you know, we we're seeing a lot of positives out of what's okay. happening from a point of view. You know, and like I do feel for the public. Well, well you you ran, you have in your time, Monty. You've run yeah. pubs, uh, the other yeah. kind of pub. Yeah. And take what Padraig Cribben said there. Mm. D- does mm. he have a point? Is it no? Is there no reason whatsoever to keep these places closed and at the same time be able to buy drink cheaply in supermarkets? 
yeah, you know, he has he he has a he has he has a he has a very strong point, and you know, I know that there's you know it has been the issue ever over the years, and I know it from dealing with students over the years that that and obviously they don't have much disposable income, but there has been a constant, constant, constant issue about um, off license sales, house parties, and all the trouble that that comes out, out of there. But you know that that hasn't been an issue that's just come up in the last two or three weeks, um, PJ. This is this is ongoing for a long time. And a lot of even parents say to, and I've children myself, that, you know, people prefer if their students or their friends or whatever are in a controlled environment in a bar rather than an uncontrolled environment in a house party where people can get very cheap drink. But this this is an ongoing issue for the last since I've been in Cork twenty five years that we're competing with off license sales and and house parties. But then on the plus side, when we were allowed to reopen two and a half weeks ago, you know, the more expensive drinks and cocktails is what's the most popular and people like their panty Guinness. And that's that experience. So if the bars can get open as soon as possible, like we've been allowed open with food and if venues, I mean, the other point is there's a lot of venues that didn't do food before are now doing food and are open quite successfully and they're dealing with pizza place and that. So, Actually, there's a question that's come in on the comments, uh, and I know the pub in question, but I'm not Mm. going to name it, to be fair. But Mm. I'm getting calls about a pub that has done a deal with the local pizza house. You go in, you you order it, they call it from the pizza house, and you come and you sit down and eat it in the pub. Is that okay? Well, I I think it's been run very well. And the places that I know several who, who are doing that around the country, and there are no issues from those venues. And I suppose I'm just making that point, PJ, that you know some pubs, even if they were allowed open, might not just be viable because of the restrictions and the amount of people in there. But if you have a pub that didn't do food before, like I met someone in the street recently and he said to me that he can provide food, a various range of meals, you know, has a kitchen close by and can do that for any pub, you know. And I know him quite well and I, I thought that was quite a, quite a good idea. So if you have a pub that hasn't a kitchen, and you can come in and you can order off the menu and get delivered within 15, 20 minutes. I and mean, if you come into Clancy's, you're going to have to wait at least 15 or 20 minutes. And it has been longer, unfortunately, because of the way it's back along. But if people can get their food at a fairly quick time and it's a full meal, no different than a pizza, and we serve pizzas in Clancy's as well. So, like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, in my okay. view. And th- those venues have run... I mean, it's down to the management, PJ. If a venue has been run well, it's been run well. We can't allow... Willy nilly, we can't allow people at the bars, we can't allow people jump around the tables. We have to obey the rules, and that's the only way we're going to be allowed to stay open and we're going to be allowed to continue. And hopefully, that other venues and other bars can, can do the same, you know. And there's, there's nothing stopping from what I can see from the, the legislation that if, if, um, if a bar can, can provide a, a substantial meal and that nine euro piece, if they, if they can provide that for customers, they can allow. They can, they can trade and that was cleared up before the lifting of the last um, regulation OK, alright, leave it there for now thanks as always, Paul Montgomery from Clancy's, they're open because they operate as a restaurant um, that other pub that I'm not going to name, but has done a, a deal with a local pizza shop, that you go in, you sit down you order your pint, you order your pizza that's OK in Paul's eyes is that OK in your eyes? and then there's plenty of good times for the pubs, but now they're moaning and groaning, says this call they should take a leaf out of Penny's Primark in the UK who refused government help even when offered. There's too much pub capacity in Cork now. 
Now is the time for prudent and sensible publicans to shine. Yeah, in the UK, they have a thing called the furlough bonus. Something to do with the revenue and tax. I'm not completely across it. But under the, that scheme, Primark, i.e. pennies, were they were due entitled to, I don't know, 30-odd million pounds from the government. And they never took it. They said they didn't need it. So I think that's what that caller is getting to. The pubs and nightclubs should not be in the same category, says Cathy. Kevin says, well, it's okay to still go for a drink as long as you buy a nine euro burger first. You won't catch the bug. Yeah, a nine euro burger is a vaccine for coronavirus. No, it's not. No, it's not. But I would like to know what you think. If we can't open the ordinary local pub, is it time to do what Padre Criminal says it's time to do? I think that they've really got to look at whether they're going to allow alcohol to continue to be sold in supermarkets. Continuing with this after the break. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Remaining open for all your essential fuels with drive-in or seven-day delivery. Solidfueldepot.ie Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Each week we bring you the latest news from our vibrant and creative communities all around Cork. Whether it's tips for the best live gigs online, new initiatives from Cork's writers and musicians, join Elmery Mall and Connor Tallon as we work to support and keep the arts alive in Cork. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do. On Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 Someone's saying there, Kevin is saying that idea about the pub and, and the pizza house. Well, what's the problem? It helps to keep two business stores open. It's creative thinking. But I did see specified in the guidelines that you had to have a restaurant license. You had to be operating as a restaurant originally. Can we go to the man who's caused all this storm this morning? Padraig Cribben of the VFI. Padraig, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Is it time to take cans and bottles out of the supermarkets, do you think? Just before I get into that, PJ, can I just clarify something that you said just before I come on, that you have to have a restaurant license. You do not have to have a restaurant license under the current guidelines, just, okay. just for absolute clarity. So what the pub uh, is doing locally here, where they've opened the pub, they're spacing out the seats in the pub according to social distancing, and they've yeah. done a deal with a nearby pizza house, that's okay. Well, what you have to have is you have to have a food safety management system uh, under the HACCP guidelines agreed with the HSE, uh, which is which is slightly different. They may or may not have that. I don't know the particular details. Um, to go back to your, to your other question, PJ, I suppose the question I'm asking this morning, we have 3,500 publicans right around the country uh, who are really flabbergasted by the decision yesterday. Uh, and my concern is that we will be sitting here in three weeks' time uh, in the very same position. Uh, because the R, the R, the R number is, um, is up and the easy decision to make is to leave pubs closed. The question I'm asking this morning is very simple. There are, uh, based on the politicians' views and the public health guidelines, and just to be very clear, 
We have always said that the public health is paramount. It's number one. Mm. But the question I'm asking this morning is, if the two issues that are causing the current spike are travel and house parties, what is closing the pubs going to do to actually alleviate those problems? The answer is nothing. So if there, if if the actions taken are not going to solve the problem, you've got to go, no matter where the, what the problem is, no matter what business it is, you've got to go to the root of the problem. And what is the root of the problem? Uh, if, if house parties is where the clusters are coming from, bear in mind the Gardaí do not have the power to go in and stop a house party. You need a warrant to do that, and it takes time to do that. So the question I'm asking this morning is, should government be actually looking at the issue that's causing the issues at the house parties, which is the sale of alcohol in supermarkets. That's the question I'm asking. I'm not saying it should be done. I'm asking the question, should government be looking at it? And what would you think government should be considering? They should be considering whether it is right to continue to allow alcohol to be sold if it's if it's fueling the problem. Yeah. See, they did a list... Uh, in America, I think, uh, last week or the week before, where they looked at a, a, a category of danger in terms of activities following the, the lockdown. And it went from the very least dangerous, like being out for a walk or a round of golf, right down through various activities. And the very top of the tree, the most dangerous place with regard to picking up coronavirus was a pub. I saw that, uh, and I also see that, you know, since the pubs opened here two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago now, we have had in excess of 99% compliance. They're not my figures, they're the Gardaí figures. Uh, And I think the one thing that Irish publicans can do is they're used to controlling crowds, they're used to controlling uh, the, 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 the clientele, and also that the vast majority of pubs, they're small, family owned. Uh, they're very different to your pub types in America. The vast majority of our pubs here, they're family-owned and family-run. Uh, they're not part of chains. Uh, they're, they're, they're not depending on, on individual managers. And the, the clientele in a lot of pubs, not alone are the customers, they're also, they're also friends, neighbours, etc., who are going to be well looked after. And closing, keeping them closed ain't going to solve uh, the the um, ain't going to solve the, the the kind of issues that are here. Mm. Okay, all right. I'll leave it with you there, Podrick, and thank you for taking our call at short sure. notice on the opinion line. Thank you. That's Podrick Cribben uh, from the Vintners Federation of Ireland, and what he's saying very very clearly is keeping the pubs closed on Monday will not solve the problem that's being caused by house parties. Now, last night, the Taoiseach also said that gatherings in your house or my house or anybody's house are to be limited again to 10 people and only from four households. So if you want to have your brother and your sister and your brother-in-law and your sister-in-law and your mother maybe over for dinner and a couple of drinks and maybe invite a friend as well, that's okay as long as there's not more than 10 people. But having 30 people out the back garden is not on for the for the while, for the foreseeable. But there's the point that Padre Cribben is making, and, and it's hard to argue with the man. We know about the house parties. I was talking to Jerry O'Sullivan from Radio Kerry during the week. 
and he was telling me about the house party, the big house party in Killarney the weekend before last, where they have identified that's the cause of a problem. That was the cause of a few cases. We now know that up the Atlantic, up the wild Atlantic way, there have been house parties, houses and cottages being rented and piled, people piling in at the weekend for house parties. And they're going to the off-license and they're going to the supermarket and they're bringing the cans and they're bringing the bottles and they're drinking out the back and they're drinking at the barbecue. And that's where the clusters are. And Padre Cribbett's question is, keeping the pubs closed on Monday, how does that solve a problem that's not occurring in the pubs? He's got a point, you know. 1850-71596. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open every day for all your solid fuels. Barbecue gas and charcoal. Solidfueldepot.ie. Due to COVID-19, the big summer concerts are all off. But the biggest stars will still play this summer. One, two, three. The Backgarden Festival. It's a new online station that plays non-stop festival hits from the ultimate superstar lineup. Round the clock every day. The Backgarden Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialist in sound this summer. Get all the lowdown and listen live on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. It's Cork's Gold Imro award-winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 0833969696 On Cork's 96 FM I'm grateful to Michael from the Crawford who waited for me to talk to Padre Cribbon from the VFI Forest Michael, good morning to you Hi, how are you? Bit of a Bit of a knockback for people in the trade yeah, It certainly is, yeah Are, you, are you still trade. closed, aren't you? We are, we are. We're going to get open with the rest of them on the, on the week of the 20th. We read oil. We're lucky we can do food, but we're actually renovating, so um, that's why we're still closed at the moment. Technically, you could open so anytime you want, couldn't you? If you adhere yeah, to can. the food guidelines. We can, and I suppose we, I just wanted to wait to see what the, 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 the wind blew and what the reaction was, and we're launching a new a new product down here, so it's important to get the timing of that right as well. Right. And and what are the plans now? Are you holding off? We're going to hold off for another week and maybe go the August weekend. Uh, gives us an extra little bit of time to get the food right. That's why we're playing it down here. Yeah. Now, do you think the minister is right when we have got the numbers going up again? The infection rate has gone up again. We have cases going up again. The numbers are there every day. The Taoiseach is being cautious based on public health advice. Neffet definitely didn't want the rest of the pubs opening on Monday. So, is the Taoiseach right or wrong here? I, I wouldn't comment on whether the Taoiseach is right or wrong, but I, I certainly think they could be giving information a bit quicker and with a bit more clarity uh, of, of, of what's going on. A lot of fellas have stocked to buy in and all sorts of stuff. And yeah. Well, some pubs would only have one chance to do this again because you've got to pay the ASB off, you've got to pay this, you've got to pay that. And they might have a certain amount of money in the kitty and once you spend that reopening and they shut it down again and it's gone, yeah. then that's your business gone as well, you know? Yeah. Do you think the point about supermarkets is a valid one, the one that Podrick makes, that there's no point in keeping places closed when in actual fact the real problem is people buying crates of beer in supermarkets? Well, I suppose if you listen to the media and the, the, the talks about the house parties and that's how it's spreading, he's got a fair point. 
Um, not that 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 you begrudge the supermarkets and their sales, but you know the 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 thing that clusters are coming out of house parties. So at the moment, you know, I've been to a few of the pubs in town, especially Clancy's. They're doing a great job. Yeah. You know, keeping the, the the they did a great job inside. First of all, well done. But they're keeping everybody separate and safe, and that's the way we intend to run it. Yeah. We opened all shows. We're going into our second weekend up on Barrack Street, and we've always had a long-standing relationship with Miyazaki. Yeah. Um, that we provide, he provide the food for us in there, so that's what we started doing again. The guys have been in a few times, and they're happy enough for what we're doing. With also, you, one of your your other place, you're doing one of these nearby takeaway providing the food deals, and that's are, okay yeah. under the guidelines, is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, we can see we can see twenty-four people. They can come in and they can buy ice cream for nine euro if they like, or they can get pizza or, or Miyazaki. So you book your table, we have a reservation system, you have all the contract tracing. They have to show us their receipt for their food, their food comes in, they get their hour and a half and they move on. Mm. And, and are people willing to move on, Michael? I've heard anecdotally of people getting a bit strappy at the end of their 105 minutes. I haven't found that now personally. I think people are. It's becoming like, you know, we're being all being treated like children, so people are getting used to being told what to do. Um, so I haven't really experienced that yet. Okay. All right, Michael, thanks very much for taking our call. That's Michael the Crawford Bar and Osho, which is up on Barry Street. And they're one of the places doing the deal with the takeaway down the road. There's a lot of it going on, by all accounts. And what Porter Cribbin said is that's not really a breach of the guidelines. Once you have a HACCP pass or a HACCP system in place, HACCP being food service and all that protocol, and realistically to open a pub anyway, you have to pass a HACCP inspection. So they kind of are operating within the rules, the ones that are doing it. Hi PJ, just want to check with you. We've been invited to a barbecue this Saturday. It'll be outside, but is it okay? There'll be more than four households there. I'm a little confused. I think, and actually Frank seems to have answered it, having 30 to 50 out the back, if you have a side gate, would constitute an outdoor gathering, which is within the rules, once they don't have to go through the house. So, yeah, that is an answer to, to Genevieve's problem. Thanks for that. 1850-715-996. Does anybody agree with what Padre Cribben has had to say, though, this morning? If the Minister of Taoiseach, Neffet, whatever, are going to force the pubs to stay closed, should they also be looking at the freedom of access to booze in the supermarkets? Like I can buy eight cans for 14, 15 quid. Suits me grand. Suits me absolutely fine. I can get a slab for 24. Suits me grand. But if you have a house party with 10 or 20 or 30 people in it, you have a rake a drink, bought cheaply in the local supermarket, one person comes in with COVID, and before you know it, you have a cluster. And what the VFI are saying this morning, that is where the problem lies. Not in the small family pub. Not in the rural local. In Kenturk or in Dingle or in Fermanagh, or anywhere, or Galway, or anywhere. Not the small, local, rural pub. And they're the ones getting kept 
closed on Monday. Something else that people said to me over the last couple of weekends was, isn't this very continental? And what I mean is this, if you go into somewhere like Barry's or the South County or into Clancy's or any one of the pubs that are open and you book your slot and you have your bite of grub and you have one or two drinks with it, that's what people do on the continent anyway. We as Irish are the only ones that go in and lace into a feed of pints for the night with maybe a few chicken wings. We're kind of the only ones that do what the Brits do it, but they can't hold their drink. We do it in, it's kind of what we do. It's much more continental and, and, and maybe we need to get used to it and maybe we'll all benefit from it in the long term. 1850 I was thrilled to see yesterday and hear in the news this morning the press release from the Everyone saying they'll be back in business in mid-September. Now, a very different kind of business and I'm sure we'll get to it with them sometime soon, but they'll be back in business. But there's no jazz festival. And the Everyman will be one of the hubs of the Jazz Festival. Take the Everyman, the Metropole, the Opera House, any hotel you can think of in the city. 80, 90, 100 pubs, music and crack and just just the buzz of the jazz. And it's gone. And not only is the fantastic atmosphere, and yes it is, and I love it, and I won't ever be talked down out of it, the Jazz Festival is a great atmosphere. But it's also hugely, hugely lucrative. Not just for the city, but for the musicians. It's one of the biggest weekends of the year for musicians. And we've been talking to musicians on the programme about the trouble that they're having. Professional musicians have been completely screwed by this pandemic. Now, Councillor McNugent, you've been raising the point that maybe Diageo could step in here and try to rescue the Jazz Festival in some shape or form and do something online just to keep it going and just to get some money into the pockets of the musicians. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. You, you, you want Diageo to, to step in and do some kind of an online production for the festival, pay the artists a few quid and, and keep it going in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it was a musician, Stephen, had contacted me. Um, I think he was on your show as well already. Um, this is the lad with the concert orchestra? That's right, Steve, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just, yeah, it was just something that kind of made a lot of sense, you know, the issues that the musicians are undergoing, but also that the festival being cancelled and they got an opportunity to raise it at the City Council there um, Monday evening. I just just think it's a missed opportunity that something could be done still, whether, you know, online mainly. Um, and I think it would be good, even a marketing tool for, for the city as well. I mean, you could have individuals or groups of musicians in Cork across the country, you know, they could be anywhere. They could be in America, they could be in New Orleans, doing a set, doing a video, you know, it's uploaded to YouTube and, you know, various social media platforms and I think I think it would be a great opportunity. And you know, someone made a point at the city council meeting, you know, just tip jars and streaming that there mightn't be much income there. But I think that's where the Agile and Guinness could step in in terms of supplementing any of the musicians that would take part. Well, well, here's the thing. Diageo, as sponsors of the festival, pay a hell of a lot of money to musicians anyway. They do, and I, they do. And I, think, and I think they get a good return as well in terms of, no, I'm not one to be pushing advertising for necessarily for big multinationals and 
alcohol companies, you know. Shin, it shouldn't be the Sinn Féin thing, Mick, no. <laughs> no. Well, no, look, I think, no, maybe we'll be, we talk other days and Thomas... I'm pressing your buttons, going on that. I know, <laughs> I know, but I just think they've made, a, they make a good return. And you're talking about one year, Guinness and the Edge have made a good return over the festival over yeah. the years. They could step in here easily enough and support musicians. They'll get a, enough back with sponsorship. As I said, this could be a global event. I mean, this could be the musicians that normally travel from around the world to Cork for the Jazz Weekend. They can't do it, but they could be anywhere in the world, in any cafe or jazz club uh, performing, and that could be streamed as part of a, a festival here. And the musicians who are suffering, and there's no, you know, even pubs, there's no guarantee when musicians will be back no. in pubs, no. you know. This could be something um, for them in terms of the festival. No, according to the Arvera, Joe Cavanagh and the Chief Executive, the other night, they've looked at options. Options have been looked at in terms of it. But I don't know. I just, I don't think, I don't see the evidence there yet that it's really been looked at in terms of an online festival, PJ. Has anyone put this directly to the festival committee? What, Joe, what the Arvera is saying, there has been discussions between the City Council, between the organisers and the Azure, and options have been looked at. No, I have a motion gone in now, but unfortunately it'll probably be September before I can explore it again, and it might be too late. Um, unless someone else can do it, PJ, is, you know, is there someone else? Is that possible? Because I had another idea, on top of the idea that, that you'd put the gigs online or sessions online, would be for punters. That, you know, in order again to, to contribute to the festival in some way, if the Azure come in at one side of the house and, and put that in, like, for example, I, as someone who enjoys my jazz, but I'm not a, a, an enthusiast or a con- or, or concert, I could buy through PayPal, say, a 25 euro voucher to watch certain gigs. Someone who wants to watch more could pay, pay, buy a 50 euro voucher to watch more gigs, and you've access that way. All the technology is there. Yeah, and that's a very good idea. And it could be something even for the businesses in McCorton Street, you know. McCorton Street, maybe something they could take on as well. I know people won't be walking indoors of the Metropole or the Everyman or, you know, but it could be something. It could be something for tourism, just to highlight even, you know, McCorton Street. I think there's definitely potential there, um, PJ, maybe someone who's who's got expertise in this um, and if anybody from the organising festival is listening or engage with them, I would ask that they would consider it, um, consider okay. it strongly and what you said there PJ I think is a, could be a good idea and people can step in and support the concept of a jazz festival continuing online this year yeah. and then you know back to the normal hopefully the following okay. year like you know Okay, alright Mick, leave it there Mick Nugent, uh, Sinn Féin City Council let's bring in in a musician, Cormac, uh, pianist and composer. Uh, Cormac McCarthy, good morning. Jazz Festival, very lucrative weekend for, for thousands of musicians and gone from the calendar now. Is there some way to do it virtually where you could all still earn a book? Uh, good morning, PJ. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just listening to Mick there and to put it in context, I mean, Cork Jazz Festival is obviously the biggest jazz festival in the country. And... Sligo Jazz Festival, the Limerick Jazz Festival, the West Westford Opera Festival, all these festivals are running online editions. And like what that does is it maintains, I suppose, the artistic integrity of the festival. And even just from people, they're, they're, you know, Cork Jazz Festival is an international festival. 
and festivals across the world are running these online positions. And, you know, we have a pretty high profile here in Cork um, as regards the festival and as regards music mm. and culture in the we, city. We used to be rated, did we not, and maybe we still are, we used to be rated as one of the top five jazz festivals in the world. Yeah, I mean, perhaps it's slipped slightly over the past couple of years, but it's still up there. It's on the kind of European jazz circuit where a lot of the touring bands would come to Europe at a certain time of the year and they'd, they'd, um, they'd travel around and Cork Jazz Festival was seen as a mainstay on that circuit. So it's a big event. And when you consider that nearly all these events across Europe and across the world are actually kind of continuing their festival through online editions. So they're maintaining, as I said, an artistic integrity. They're supporting musicians, both nationally, uh, the local musicians and the international musicians. And like, to be honest, there kind of is an obligation on Diageo uh, to, to maintain that because to be the optics don't look good. You know? Diageo, let's, really let's not put a tooth in it, Diageo have made as much money out of Cork as they've put into it. Of course. And, they, and I mean, then some. Of course. I mean, look, and that's not to take away from the fact that they have been very generous sponsors and that they have supported the festival for quite a while. But at the same time, as you said, I mean, it's a massive uh, earner for them, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and like going back to the point as well, I think that Steve Kelly was making uh, on your show is like the, the situation for freelance musicians at the moment is is dire. And I mean, look, I personally, I'm like I'm very fortunate. I have I, I secure income. I teach at the Cork School of Music, so mm-hmm. I'm not here to feather my own nest. But there are there are plenty of musicians who who have absolutely zero income. At oh the no, there's nothing. It all dried they're, up. It all dried up Paddy's weekend, and, and that's it. Exactly, exactly. I mean, they're in a dire situation. They're incredibly dedicated. They're hardworking. They contribute to the economy both locally, or both economically and culturally. You know, and I mean, Cork. Cork is such a proud music tradition. You know. Um, from, you know, Rory Gallagher to Charles Lynch to the countless, you know, traditional folk musicians that we, we've produced and continue to produce. And I think it reflects really poorly on the city that, you know, the, the biggest annual music event, which is the Jazz Festival, that there isn't going to be an online edition of it and that the musicians are going to be, I suppose, hung out to dry. In, in, in one sense, the local musicians who contribute so much to this weekend that gives so much to the city um, as I said, economically, culturally, uh, international reputation. Yeah. For, um, for a jobbing musician of any yeah. ilk, be it a piano player, a drummer, a guitarist, a violinist, whatever, anyone, yeah. bass player, saxophone player, it is one of the most lucrative weekends of the year for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people, you know, make, make the rents in, in January, February, March from what they make uh, over the course of the Jazz Weekend, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a major loss. And I, I just think that, um, you know, and, and in fairness to, to cup, numerous councillors on the City Council have been quite supportive of, of rowing behind the musicians. So, I mean, we're just hoping that something can be done and that the squeeze, I suppose, is put on the agile um, in some yeah. way, shape or form to actually step up to the plate and yeah. to to maintain, I suppose, their philanthropic um, obligations as yeah. much as their their own economic and, and marketing obligations. And I think everyone will benefit in the long run, PJ. I think, it's a great, I think it's a great idea. I think it's a super idea. And I would love to look at the, the, the idea as well, like I said, as a, as a punter who loves to get in and just watch some jazz, that you could maybe buy an online ticket to watch the jazz trail or buy an Absolutely. online ticket to watch yeah. the big gigs. And... and uh, 
that way people are invested in it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, it, it also keeps it on the map, you know, even for next year and, and, and going forward, we need to we need to kind of keep the profile of the festival up as well. So, okay. yeah, I think it's a win-win if, if, if it can be done. And I don't think it's going to be, you know, I, I don't think the Azure are necessarily going to feel any pinch in, in their own pockets by, by doing it, you know. Well, it should be, it should have been starting in 99 days from now. Yeah. Let's see yeah. if anything can happen in between. And thanks for thanks for highlighting it. Cheers, cheers, Cormac. My pleasure. Take care. The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Courts ninety six FM. Vic, my apologies. Give us the weather forecast. A warm today with some sunny spells developing. Highs of 17 to 22 degrees. The current temperature is 17 degrees. You're now up to date on the home of the best music mix, Cork's 96 FM. I don't know. I lost my concentration for a second. Thanks, Vic. I don't even know what I was doing there. All right. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. <laughs> Interesting question on Michal Martin and last night's press conference and the fact that the pubs won't open now as they were going to open on Monday and the face masks, we didn't get to that, face masks are going to be mandatory now in the shops and the shopping centres and pretty much any indoor place you're asked to go so it is time now to be carrying one around in a little plastic bag in the polka and put it on when you go to Tesco and put it on when you go to the any other supermarket of your choice or put it on when you walk down through Merchant's Key for a browse around you're just going to need to wear the face mask how they're going to enforce it the Lord alone knows but that'll be a matter for themselves as they say 1850 715 996 now before oh yeah uh, be here's one. Um, Michal's going up north today. Is it is that unnecessary travel? Is there no phone or no Zoom in Leinster House? That's a good point. But going over the border is perfectly um, permissible because the unnecessary travel advisory does not apply to the six counties. You're perfectly entitled to go up and down to the six counties as much as you want. Alright? That's, that's the, the, the travel advisory does not apply to the six counties. But it's a, it's a valid question. On the pubs, the off-licenses should have been closed throughout this pandemic. Having people at home on 350 a week, drinking every night while some folk had to work through, going through a nightmare with the neighbours having the parties while we try to sleep for work. Oh, yeah. This has come up again, the people who've been saying since the start that the off-licenses should have been shut anyway. We discussed that one very early in lockdown. It might cause more problems than it solved in terms of domestic violence, etc., etc., etc. Anyway, we can return to those... Those matters uh, as the morning progresses. Before I even begin my next topic of conversation, can I stress, and I will stress again, if you are presently taking a drug called Epilim, do not stop. Do not take any action without consulting your doctor. I'm going to say that at the start, 
I'll say it in the middle and I'll probably say it again in the end and I'm sure my contributors may well say it too. Epilim is a very, a very, very effective epilepsy drug. But it has a side effect and that is the subject of our conversation. Karen Keeley, good morning. Hello, good morning and thank you. I'm raising the topic because it was brought to our attention that there is a campaign now with regard to Epilim because of an upsetting side effect. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. Uh, the, the side effect is uh, fetal operate syndrome. Uh, it's, you can go on, children can go on to develop uh, a syndrome called fetal operate syndrome. Um, Your children it, are affected, aren't they? I have three boys impacted, yeah. And how were they uh, affected, Karen? Um, my oldest boy is severely affected. He has lifelong disabilities. He would have a mind of a six-year-old. Um, he's now 33. Um, he, 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 he needs lifelong care. Yeah. And he's in residential. And he comes home on the weekend. Okay. Uh, my second son has Asperger syndrome and um, a range of issues. Uh, my third son um, would have a range of issues, like it was just ongoing. Um, the problem is, you know, at the time when you're basically diagnosed, for me personally, you just get on and deal with individual Come back to your own your own health, I suppose, before any of the boys were born. You, you've you been taking ep- Epilem, or to give it its correct name, Sodium Valproate, but we call it Epilem. For, yeah. how, for how long, Karen? Oh, since I was about eight. Okay. And it's effective for your epilepsy, is it? It's a very good drug for epilepsy. You can't deny that. It is yeah. a very good drug. Okay. But it's the pregnancy, you yeah. know. I mean, because... For most people, that's honest. It treats their seizures, and it's good in that way, you know. Yes. But nobody was told. Well, I know I wasn't um, about the full side effects of it. Yes. And and you believe that it shouldn't be taken during pregnancy, and that people should be told not to take it during pregnancy. Correct. No, yeah. Exactly. Um, it definitely shouldn't be taken in pregnancy. It's a, mandatory, it's a mandatory requirement now that uh, Epilim is not allowed to be administered in pregnancy. Um, you have to ha- sign a pregnancy prevention pro- program. And when that's, uh, that has to be done yearly. Right. You know, that has to be signed yearly. Unfortunately, you didn't find that out until too late. Is that right? Um, well, basically, I... <laughs> I went to the European Medicines Agency uh, with uh, uh, Epilepsy Ireland and uh, we put uh, a speech across and yeah, <laughs> you know, this is all Oaks and, Ep- uh, Oaks and Epilepsy Ireland, you know, we pushed and pushed and pushed for these warnings to come, you know, we've we done everything we can, but we can't do it unless, you know, we can only do a certain amount of things. Yeah. Now you brought this up with the last government, didn't you? Yeah. With Simon yeah. Harris. And what was yeah. his response? 
his response is they're waiting to see the outcome of the UK. First, they were waiting to see the outcome of France. And that was done. And the French uh, the compensation scheme was set up in France. But then the UK started uh, the Independent Medical uh, Medicines Review. And um, then it was like they were waiting on that. But my thing is, to the now minister, how many more countries do we have to wait on before Ireland is going to start looking after their own children? Is there a side effect notice in the packet? In the packet, yeah. There is. Uh, There is, yeah. But when you're on this drug long term, you know, you don't actually go and look at that. Yeah. You know. Like those notices are, they're regulated. Uh, and they're specified by specific regulation. And, yeah. and then the company follows the advice of, of every country in which it's distributed. Yeah. Yeah. But so it is, is, it, is on, it is written down in the packet not to take yeah. it during pregnancy. In, in, on the PIL, in the, on the PIL, yeah, it is written down. Um, however, it's not, it's not, it wasn't, like in 1975, it was just one line. Yeah. Uh, this drug is teragenic in uh, animals. But, but should it now, not be the case then, Karen, that if this drug has, if it's on the leaflet mm-hmm. in, the, in the box, and like you say, and you're correct, if you're taking a, a drug for long term, you don't bother your backside with the box. You just throw it in no. the bin or whatever. Yeah. Should it not be the case then that the medical profession should not prescribe this in pregnancy or that the government should not allow it to be prescribed in pregnancy? Uh, well, that is now. You, yes, I agree. It shouldn't be prescribed in pregnancy. And it's not allowed to be prescribed in pregnancy. It's only... This, is, this drug is like a last resort because if... If this drug does not, uh, this is the only drug that will only suit your seizures, you're allowed to take it. Yeah. But you have to sign the Pregnancy Prevention Programme. Okay. However, yeah. if they had brought a Pregnancy Prevention Programme out years ago, how many, I mean, my son is 33. Yeah. He his you know, he was born in 1986, oh, sorry, 1987. Yeah. And, and at the time, Karen, can you remember, at the time... Were you warned or was there any piece of paper saying don't take this in pregnancy? Um, well, on the PIL, yeah. The patient, it was in, that patient information. The, uh, the patient's apologies, patient information. Yeah, yeah. there was. So your doctor, well, your doctor shouldn't have given it to you, basically. Well, it was the only drug, it was the only drug that actually suited my seizures. Right. At the time. Right. But if you go back... I should have, like in 1986, I was a young girl, you know, uh, I got pregnant early. Um, nobody explained to us, explained the situation to me. You know, so how am I supposed to know? I thought I, I was like every other girl. Mm. You know, I didn't look up, there was no Google. There was no... Yeah. <laughs> I suppose to be fair too, to the doctor, the doctor was in a bit of a bind because here you are with epilepsy that responds only to this drug and yeah. and you want to have a baby, you you get pregnant, and and 
you can't just give up your medication. So well, per- everyone's in a tough position, aren't they? Yeah, I agree. But back then, right, um, I I got pregnant unexpectedly. Right. You know, so when I went to my healthcare professional, he should have told me mm. what, what what I was going to what may have happened. Yeah. But I didn't know anything. You and others, um, but you in particular, are looking for an independent inquiry and a state apology. So let's start with the inquiry. What do you want the inquiry to be into? I want the inquiry to basically, who knew what and when, basically. It's constant. It, it, you know, everybody it, in the UK, they're out to get in their state apology. The UK Review done the, uh, big document on this. Yeah. Ireland, we done, you know, the Valbrake Project Group. Yeah. Our report was 22 pages long. So that really means a lot to the families impacted. Yes. 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 Look, it's a very difficult position for you to be in because this is a drug that you needed for a normal life. Yeah, but, you know, had I had the choice, my choice was taken away from me. Have you? It, it is... Yeah, I'm going to leave. You, I'm going to leave you there, Karen, and I'm going to bring in Epilepsy Ireland because I'm sure you. You're, there are others like you, probably listening to us right many now. Many more, yeah, many more like me. Yeah, how many do you think? Um, well, since all this started off again, um, well, actually, in the uh, over one thousand, uh, there is over one thousand according to the Ronan Glynn study. Oh, Ronald Lynn, the Assistant Chief Medical Officer. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll leave it there with you, Karen. Karen Keeley, um, who became pregnant in the 80s and was taking Epilim at the time it was warned as a side effect. It's still warned as a side effect. It shouldn't be prescribed in pregnancy. It's not in other countries now. Let's go to... Uh, Epilepsy Ireland and their Chief Executive Peter Murphy. Peter, will you let me just clear an ad break first because I, I know we could be talking for quite a few minutes. Sure. Alright, thank you. 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With a self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross Spacious, convenient and still open every day. Selfservicelaundry.ie we got Lorraine on the desk. We got Demi dropping the beats. I want to know more about you dropping the beats. Like, I gave you ice. Lorraine, leave it alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. We've lost the plot. Got me feeling so good. Lorraine and Demi. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Live. If you're looking for something a little bit different, look no further. Listen to us on a Saturday. It's good fun. Four hours. Thank you. Join us. Lorraine and Demi. Live. Saturdays, 2 to 6 p.m. On the best music mix. Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold. Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Corks 96 FM. So, again, and I'll say it now again, I'm sure Peter Murphy will reiterate it. If you are taking Epilim, do not stop. 
Do not take any action other than continue to take it like you took it this morning and you'll take it later today. We are not discussing the safety or effectiveness of Epilim in normal use. And that's very important to state. Peter Murphy, Chief Exec of Epilepsy Ireland, thank you for holding. And it's vitally important to get that point out first, isn't it, Peter? Absolutely, PJ, and thanks for highlighting this there twice. Um, I, yeah, I mean, there's nothing really more to say other than, you know, if you are hearing this this sort of discussion or this, uh, I suppose, these concerns about Epilim for the first time and you're taking the drug and you're a woman, then absolutely you need to talk to your medical team as soon as possible. Um, but as you've said uh, absolutely correctly, you know, don't just take the decision today to stop taking it uh, in the morning. Um, but do absolutely get in touch either with Epilepsy Ireland um, on epilepsy.ie um, or uh, I suppose more to the point get in touch with your GP or with your neurologist. When did it become evident that Epilim or sodium valproate was was not good for you in pregnancy? When did that become evident? Um, so I suppose really the drug was really first developed back in the late 60s and I suppose from the very early stages it was known to be what they call teratogenic which means that it can have an effect on, on the fetus or on the, on the child. So it was known from very early on um, that there was a risk of that in, uh, in animals. Um, now there was unfortunately and as was found in um, a UK report that came out last week that uh, Karen just mentioned there um, it was highlighted in that that even though they knew that back in the 60s there, there, there definitely wasn't enough sort of follow-up studies done at the time uh, to see what impact uh, that that knowledge might have had in humans but I suppose over the years um, more and more evidence began accumulating um, about first of all the risks that it had in terms of birth defects and physical malformations. And at what point, you say it's there since the, since the late 60s, at what point, Peter, did they begin to put it into the patient information leaflet or indeed any information leaflet that would go to a doctor? At what point yeah. did the company begin to put that in? Well, it was in, it was in from the very early stages in Ireland when the, the patient leaflets and the, the medical versions of them were, were sort of became... Right. You know, became standard practice. It, 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 it was in there. But and was it standard practice for doctors to warn women when they come in? Look, if you're pregnant, we need to revisit your epilim. Well, again, this is where it's very. I suppose this is where it's very individual. Um, you know, we will hear even today of, of 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 patients who say to us that there's kind of two camps. PJ, one is that sure, isn't this known for years? And, you know, why are you, you know, why is epilepsy Ireland still talking about this issue? We've all known this for years. My doctor told me 20 years ago. And there's a lot of women out there who say that, and that's brilliant. But equally, there's a lot of women out there who've never heard of this. And the likelihood is that there's someone listening, uh, listening to you this morning um, who's never heard of this. Well, but, but Peter, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to always be cognizant of being on the side of the patient here. The patient yeah. gets their medicine they take their medicine, the medicine has an effect. It is surely the responsibility of the prescribing doctor yeah, to raise absolutely. this. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, it's, I mean it's, it's the responsibility of the entire healthcare system, starting at the, regu- at the point of regulation and, and following down through into the, the various sort of professions, you know, doctors, pharmacists, specialists, and so on. Um, but I suppose this, like this, is the concern. But just to go back slightly, in terms of the, in terms of you know, 
kind of the history of it. Um, uh, I mean, it was really in the early 90s that, you know, that there was at that point enough uh, accumulative, um, you know, scientific knowledge by the 90s to know that, that this drug was having an effect in humans and it was having, you know, effects in terms of birth defects. Then it was it was a little bit later, probably the early part of the 2000s, and in, you know throughout that decade, that the risks became uh, became you know uh, very clear and very evident in terms of the effects it was having in terms of learning and ADHD, memory issues in kids, um, you know things like autism spectrum disorder. All of these sort of neurodevelopmental issues became more and more uh, evident uh, over the last kind of 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and it, it, just to answer in terms of the actual, you know, the information that was provided to uh, patients in the in the box. So, like nowadays, since 2018, there's very comprehensive information in there. Mm-hmm. Very detailed information, uh, you know, kind of written specifically for patients. But the further that you go back, you find that that information was less and less. So you go back to the 90s and the, you know, the 80s, the 2000s. Um, it was it was far less detailed. Um, it, the UK review found, for example, that there was um, a big gap between the knowledge becoming available and it being communicated. Yeah. And it found that there was also a gap between what uh, doctors were being told in their data sheets and what patients were being told on the leaflets that were put in the box. Right. So, I mean, those are the historical issues. And, um, you know, like I said, um, the UK review found that there was, you know, failings across the, the system here to protect patients over the years. Um, it's resulted in thousands of families, I think 20,000 uh, families affected in the UK. Um, there are obviously less in Ireland. There's about 1,250 according to the HSE's own data from 2018. Yeah. So, so, um, so, so what is the responsibility here going forward and maybe even looking back, but let's look at going forward, the responsibility of, say, Stephen Donnelly, the new Minister for Health here, what, what's, what's his responsibility? Well, Stephen Donnelly has been very uh, supportive, um, I suppose, to date. Now he's in his new role now as Minister for Health. Uh, we've actually just written to him last week to request a meeting on this uh, in, in the follow-up to the UK. What, what did you want him to do? Well, what do we, I suppose uh, back back just before this year's general election, he, he was interviewed um, by a media outlet where he said that he was 100 a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
supportive of the need for an inquiry in Ireland to take a look in a similar way to what they've done in the UK to, to take a look at this issue um, and to see you know how how the state responded over the years mm. um, and in terms of did it did it fulfil its obligations did it do the right thing at, at various points in time does he so have he, the power or does anybody have the power to forbid the prescription of epilim in pregnancy so it's at the moment at the moment it's the drug is not supposed to be used um, in pregnancy. In fact, it's not supposed to be used at all in women of childbearing potential. Oh, um, yes. So oh, that's, that oh, that's bigger now, Peter. That's bigger. Yeah. So, I mean, since 2018, I mean, you know, I mean, basically, PJ, for years, nothing really happened with this drug. Uh, in 2014, the European Medicines Agency took a look at the safety issues around the drug and they came up with guidelines about informing patients and various other steps that should have been done. Then four years later in 2018, they took another look at the initial measures that they suggested and they said that, look, these measures are not being uh, effective and there are still a lot of um, you know, like you know, basically people like women who, who who don't know about the risks, and there are still high risks of children being born with these uh, avoidable disabilities. So, in 2018, the European Medicines Agency did another wide-scale European-wide review and strengthened the measures. So, as it stands today, the actual guidance is that this drug should not be used in any women of childbearing potential. So, approximately, so let's say from you know teenage years up to mid 40s now there are uh, so there are a couple of sort of caveats it, it can be used if there's a pregnancy prevention program in place which includes things like pregnancy testing before treatment is started and during treatment it includes uh, an annual uh, treatment review by a specialist as opposed to the gp um women who want to take it are, are to sign an annual risk acknowledgement form um and of course they need to be fully informed as to as to what the risks is and uh, there was a lot of good work done by the help, uh, sorry, by the HPRA here in Ireland or the um, medicine regulators, um, you know, putting together patient information booklets and things like that that are to be used. Uh, when you go to your pharmacy, you're supposed to be given a little card that highlights the, the risk every month to you. So there was a lot of good things like this that have been done to try and reduce the risk. But um, I suppose to get into another angle, we, we did a survey very recently, just this year, and we just put the the results out uh, two weeks ago. Uh, and like we were finding in our survey, 151 women took part in it, uh, all of whom were taking Valproof. And frankly, the results are, 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 are so much shocking that despite all of the guidelines that have been put in place and all of the uh, communications that have been sent by the, by the HPRA to the uh, doctors and the pharmacists and to everybody else, there are still one in... Uh, one in three respondents to our survey, one in three women, have never had a discussion with their health professional about the risks of alcohol. That's clearly Uh, a failing of the profession, isn't it? Well, there's clearly something wrong. And again, this was something that that, that was highlighted in last week's UK review where they found that it's just not... I mean, they, they said very clearly that it's just not... Uh, it's not. Or, or, sorry, it's I not safe to take this thing if you're pregnant, or maybe it's come. Absolutely or maybe not safe. Come. No, no the, there's something the else. Peter, there's something that. else that does that does occur to me, and and I guess it, it does put people and their doctors and everyone concerned in a difficult situation, and that is epilepsy is a queer old thing, and mm-hmm. and one of the queer old things about it 
is that for many, many people, Epilim might be the only thing that works. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's, like, that is a very valid point. And I suppose historically as well, there were far less drugs in the market if you go back to the 70s and the 80s. Now, there are, there are obviously more out there now. Um, and it's, it can be problematic when you, you know, it's not just a simple case of switching, um, no. It's not, I, and I you know this because my, my own my own son has a has a mild form of epilepsy. Okay, and it, we, right. we we you know we had to go through the the procedures at the time. What will work for yeah. him? No, it's not epilepsy, but what will work for him? And, and and the same with many others, you know. Yeah, and there's a lot of trial and error. I mean, it's a it's a very complex condition, and the unfortunate fact when it comes to epilepsy is that a drug that might work very well for me and it won't work at all for yeah. you. And it's very hard to know that in advance. Yeah. And so there's there's a lot of trial and error. So yeah. I, I, I mean, it puts women it, it puts women and their doctors in 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 an enviable situation. In that you know Mary or Susan goes to the doctor. She's in her mid to late twenties and and she's wants to have her first child, and she's taking Epilim successfully. The doctor is surely obliged to warn her. Well, Mary, that's fine. But you, your drug isn't safe. Your epilepsy drug isn't safe here. Absolutely. And at that point is when really, you know, steps need to be taken to, you know, to look at a different uh, treatment option. Um, you know, to, to try and move people who are on the drug off it onto a more safer alternative. Um, I mean, all epilepsy drugs have risks, but Valproate has a, a particularly high risk. Um, so it is it is important, obviously, that if if someone is on Epilim and they're considering starting a family, then absolutely they they need to start the process of changing their their drug um, early on. This this um, is sounding like a very pedantic question. Is it legal? Is it the doctor's legal obligation to inform the patient that they shouldn't take it? Well, I I don't know if it's a legal obligation. Can it be made a legal obligation? Um, I, I'm not sure about that, I'll be honest with you. Um, I suppose the, what's there already is very strong guidance from the, from you know, starting at the European Medicines Agency level and then handed down to the Irish level, the, the Health Products Regulatory Authority, and then they issue uh, guidance out to uh, prescribers, uh, the Pharmaceutical Society, who so are the, the guidance is there. regulators. They've also put guidance out to pharmacists as to exactly what's expected of them. There's extremely clear guidance in place. It's been communicated numerous times from the HPRA out to medical professionals. Um, most medical professionals, all medical professionals, will tell you that they know the guidance and that they understand it and that they, and, you know, that they do their best to implement it. But equally, what we're hearing in terms of our survey is that it's just, you know, that these measures are not, in, in summary, having the desired effect. Uh, and it still seems to me that, you know, people are not aware of the risks. People are saying that they haven't had these discussions with their doctors. Um, and again, this is, you know... That's concerning. It's, it's, it's concerning because, yes, I mean, it does indicate that there is still a risk today in 2020, despite all the knowledge we have that there are children um, who could be born in 2020, 2021, who are going to be affected by Valford. And there's no, there is no good reason for that to happen anymore. Um, there's enough information available, there's enough guidelines and there's enough measures that are being put in place by regulators and by the HSC mm. who again, and I have to say, have done a lot of good work over the last two years on this but it just doesn't seem to be having the, the actual desired effect when it gets down to the patient level and ultimately all women have to be informed of this there needs to be fully 
informed consent. Um, we really need to see those those guidelines being fully implemented, and we need to get everybody back around the table again to have a look at this. You know, people like the HPRA, the HSC, the patient groups, the medical representative bodies like the ICGP and the Irish Pharmacy Union. All of these organisations, everybody has a, a role to play here. Um, you know, this is a problem that can be solved, and we we are firmly of the belief that the way it can be solved is getting everybody back around that. Well, I suppose today that virtual table mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of looking again at the measures that were brought in in 2018, mm-hmm. looking to see what else can be done. Is there a need for more effective training for, for you know, for example, GPs and pharmacists? Yeah. Uh, you know, like what new things can be done? It, it probably again, puts women in, an, in a difficult situation too, Peter, in that, you know, women want to have a child. It's the most natural thing in the world to, to want to have a child. But this is the drug that you take for your epilepsy, it's the only one that works. What do you do? Um, so again, there's no there's no clear answer to that that I can give. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm just I'm just putting it out there. I can yeah. imagine how I can imagine how somebody might feel sitting at yeah. a, a kitchen table in 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 Ballincollig. You know, I'm sure. thinking of I'm thinking of a woman sitting at a kitchen table listening to me in Ballincollig. Herself and her partner are looking to have their first child, and, and and considering the possibility of having their first child, she's on epilepsy, managing it very well, seizure free on epilim, afraid of her living life to come off it in case the seizures come back. Desperately wants to have a child. What happens to her? Well, I suppose the, it really highlights the importance of having the knowledge, first of all, and second of all, you know, to take action with that knowledge and to go to the GP uh, or to their specialist and to have the conversation and to figure out, based on your own individual you know, epilepsy circumstances, to come up with a plan for you. Um, you know, that might involve being switched off Alpert or Epilemon to a different drug. Um, which is a process that, as you said, can take a lot of time. Can take many months, can't it? It can, and there's a weaning process, and um, it you know it may or may not work. Uh, and you know, counterbalance with that has been the issue over you know ever since. I mean, you know, going all the way back, you you you've got to balance also um, the risks that we that we've been talking about this morning to are against the risks of having a breakthrough seizure. So. If somebody has has epilepsy and they're they've they've been they've been controlled for a number of years and they haven't had any seizures, um, you know they're back driving on the road probably. They're maybe in full time yeah. employment. It, it, like it well. can be a life change. I and mean, having a child alone is a life changing decision. But having to yeah. adjust your medication to do so is another life changing decision. Yeah, I'm going I'm going to leave it there for now, Peter. It, it's mm-hmm. one that I, I've no doubt we'll come back to because it is really, really interesting. Uh, and, and, and we need some kind of clear guidance or pathway for people. But again, we, we must um, reiterate what we've said. Do not stop taking your epilim. Absolutely. And, you know, and if anyone has any questions just this morning, if they go on epilepsy.ie, they can find, you know, if, if anyone wants to talk, as in right now, they can just go there. We have obviously an office in Cork. There's a, a number there, a mobile number on their website, in the contact section, and uh, they can get in touch. But ultimately, get in, you know, get back to your, to your GP, uh, even if it's only discussion with your pharmacist. But, you know, do take action. If, if, if this affects you, you know, like don't let it go into next week without without um, without kind of taking action on it. Okay. Uh, it is, it's too big an issue. It's too important an issue. Okay. Um, and there's there's no need for 
for you know this risk to be still present in 2020. Okay. Most, most thank you for your time, Peter. Do appreciate it. That's Peter Murphy, the CEO of Epilepsy Ireland. It's a very effective drug, a really effective drug. For some people, it's the only one that works. But it's dangerous to take it in pregnancy. It's dangerous to take it if you're planning to be pregnant. And it would seem from the survey that Epilepsy Ireland did that that message is not being driven home. Step up, whoever needs to learn to drive at home. 1850 Hi PJ, I started to take a new drug for rheumatoid arthritis last month. The medication can take two years to leave your system and you're told not to get pregnant. A doctor, a pharmacist and two nurses all gave me a big lecture about not getting pregnant while I'm on this drug. Most are very responsible in the health service. It's better though to be safe than sorry. Any advice should be passed on to the patient at every available opportunity. Let me get your name right, Elaine. Is it Kelly or Keely? Hi, PJ. It's Kelly. Kelly. Elaine, you have a petition on a platform called openpetition.eu to get disability services for children reopened. That's right. Um, thanks for having me on, PJ. Uh, I started the petition last week um, I suppose, um, just to give you some background, my, my daughter is three and a half years old and she's uh, a service user in Enable Ireland and Curragheen here in Cork. Right. And um, up until March, she would have had weekly therapy sessions for physiotherapy, occupational therapy and speech therapy. And, you know, unfortunately, because of the COVID-19 lockdown, um, she hasn't had any face-to-face sessions since then. Um, mm-hmm. So we've been having some teletherapy sessions um, that the that hardworking team in Enable Ireland have been providing, which is very difficult for them under the current circumstances um, and they've really had to adapt in their working methods. But, you know, for a child best age, it's just not that effective because she's, you know, not that engaged with the computer screen and, you know, it's difficult to get to get her to to engage with their therapist. So, um, and what is the situation with Enable Ireland? Are, are they allowed to open yet? Um, so Enable Ireland have informed us that they are awaiting a final guidance document from the HSE. Um, so the guidance that they have received thus far has been um, relatively vague in terms of the exact detail about how they would reopen. Um, I am, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the building. It's quite a large building it. It's a brand new They have a wonderful new complex in Corraheen. Yeah, it's huge. That's right. Yeah, it's it's massive and it's, you know, cost millions of euro and at the moment it's it's sitting idle, which is really sad to see. Um, so they're awaiting guidance from the HSC and they're also, they submitted um, costing to the HSC to try and cover the cost of, you know, the additional costs that go along with COVID-19 for PPE, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, additional cleaning, etc. So, um, you know, they're they're telling us that they can't reopen until that funding has been granted. Right. Um, so at the moment, we don't have a date. Um, you know, a sort of a vague date of September has been has been mentioned for reopening of face to face services. Um, but you know, there's many parents around Cork and around the country at the moment who are having to pay for private therapy sessions for their children yeah. and you know I know And have I the know, private therapy services been able to presume Elaine? Um, they have I mean uh, our daughter is going for private physiotherapy sessions um, 
and has been, you know, they've been reopened since, I think, the end of May, since yeah. that phase of the opening. Um, so, yeah, it's frustrating, I suppose, that at a private level, therapists and clinicians are able to work, but uh, they don't seem to be able to, I suppose, from mostly from a costing point of view. So it's been told um, that they can't, can't do it from the public sector point of view. Um, and, you know, as I said, her, ther- her therapists and Enable are fantastic. Her team are very supportive and they've been doing their best mm-hmm. under the circumstances. Um, but even going forward, you know, we've been told that there's going to be a sort of a blended approach to therapy between face-to-face therapy and teletherapy. And, you know, it's, it's a, a method that um, the therapists there are not necessarily used to using. So mm. we've raised the issue that, you know, perhaps um, their clinicians uh, should be provided with training from the HSE in telehealth and how best to provide that. Yeah. As as a as a mom, uh, it it must be very difficult for you. Ah, uh, it is. You know, it's um, it's tiring, I suppose. You know, and you're trying to do your best. You're trying to provide all of the therapies that I suppose that normally would be guided. Uh, as I said, we would have seen a therapist every week, so yeah. you're given very clear direction then about what to do every week. Well, what's um, what's the nature of your little girl's needs? Um, so Beth has, she doesn't actually have a diagnosis, but she um, she has complex needs. So she has a lot of different, she has epilepsy, ironically, I was listening to your discussion out there. Um, and she has mobility issues. So um, she will be, you know, she was assessed for a wheelchair there just before the closure. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, because of, you know, a funding cost and waiting list, she won't be getting that till next year sometime. Yeah. Um, and she she attends um, a couple of the hospitals in Dublin as well for, for therapy. Mm. Um, she's got a lot going know, on, the poor little mite. She has, but she, she's doing great, you know, and she's um, she's in great spirits. But even just the change of routine for a child that young Aye. is very disruptive. You know, all of her supports were suddenly just yeah. taken away from her. And to be fair to Enable Ireland, your, your beef isn't with them. No, not no, not at all. I mean, they, I think they're they've been doing really the best that they can. I suppose it's just a, um, a frustration from you know other parents that I've spoken to as well that there's been such a delay in reopening, um, and it just seems to be red tape at this stage. That's that's preventing, um, especially for early intervention services, just from a personal point of view, because mm. um, that's the services that we engage with and. You know, early intervention has shown to really improve outcomes. And you say she was, well, she's three and a half. She's three and a half. Which is the perfect, it's the perfect time for early intervention. It is, and she's missed out now in almost six months of intervention, you know. Um, and definitely, you know, we've seen some plateauing in her development and her progress. Oh, yeah. um, and so have many other parents. They've noticed Very worrying. It is, it is. And I, you know, I suppose... I wanted to come on and raise the issue because I really haven't heard anybody talking about it. Um, There's been some talk about intellectual disability services and, um, you know, the autism, um, autism awareness and those Mm. services. Well, I mean, we personally as a family, we've we've been exceptionally fortunate in in that my boy's service reopened, albeit at a limited capacity, at the first available opportunity. And he's been going back to his day service since the middle of May so I can't imagine how frustrated you must be It is very frustrating alright and you know you just feel like um, 
you know, we're we're parents. We're not therapists. We're, I mean, I'm I'm Beth's uh, part time care as well. Um, but you know, it's, You're not the it's just a lot of responsibility. I'm not an expert. No, no. I'm not. Um, so you're not the just, specialist she needs to see. Your your mom, who does what the specialist helps you to do, but you're not the specialist. Exactly, exactly. Beth is also she's profoundly deaf. So another challenge going forward for Beth will be from a speech therapy point of view. I was going to ask about um, communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, speech therapists have been told that they will only be insured. Um, now this is privately. I'm not sure what the situation is within Naval Ireland, but. Um, they won't be covered by their indemnity unless they're wearing full PPE. So you can imagine a speech therapist trying to communicate with a deaf child oh. when they can't see their mouth. <laughs> it's very to... challenging. You know, All right. So well, people can find your course. people can find your petition on openpetition.eu. Reopen. Let's reopen disability ah. services. Elaine, thank you very much. Thanks so much, PJ. And for best having me best of luck to you and Beth. Take care. Thanks a million. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. 1850-715-993. I imagine she's not the only one and that Enable Ireland isn't the only service affected and there's no blame that ever was to Enable Ireland. It's it's the usual suspects. It's it's the HSE and, and the government and everybody else. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Quick question with regard to masks, face masks. The government said last evening in its briefing that as well as being compulsory, mandatory on public transport now, it will now be mandatory to wear a face covering, stroke face mask in a shop or a shopping centre or any enclosed indoor space that you find yourself in or any place where it's not possible to maintain a social distance. Um. Hi, Peter. The government is saying you must wear masks in all indoor gatherings. Does that include going for a meal? Must you put it on entering and leaving? Must you put it on when you're going to the toilet? I'm not sure. That there's a good piece in the Echo today, which I, I thought I'd brought in with me. I'll try to find it before the end of the hour. A good explainer as to when and where. But I know talking to people across Europe in the last while in Spain for example when you go into a restaurant now you must wear the mask until you're seated and then you can take it off, order your food obviously eat your food if you need to go to the toilet you can put the mask on going to the toilet and when you come back down again and as soon as you pay your bill you must put the mask back on again before you leave pretty much any time that you are moving around among people you must wear the mask. So I'm assuming that's where we're headed here. For the public transport, the fine is up to €2,500 for refusing to wear one. And you can jail as well. That won't be as severe in the shopping centre, for example. If you're down wandering around Mahon Point and you don't happen to have a mask on, you're not going to end up with a two and a half grand fine. But it could be 60, 70 quid. They're going to bring out regulations next weekend or next week rather are the government Michal Barton Taoiseach is getting tough now at this point and he wants to he definitely wants to work he seems to be more inclined to take his advice directly from Neffet than the last administration was they used to they used to deviate a little from Neffet's instructions whereas Michal Martin seems to have gone back to the hymn sheet with Neffet 
because they didn't want the pubs opening on Monday. They wanted it held back. That's what they've got now. Anyway, let's look at this Twitter hack. I, I heard about it during the night. Uh, it's blue tickers on on Twitter, which are verified accounts, generally sort of VIP types. Avril Roden is Global Programme Manager with Trend Micro. Avril, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Lovely to talk to you. And to you again. It's been a while. Um, yeah. Now, Twitter has this blue tick category. What is it first? Uh, it's a verification. You have to go through a process with Twitter in order to and um, comply with their requirements in order to get that uh, verification. Um, the details of which are very much your your profession, your you know your what it, whatever it is that you specialize in, uh, your background, your area of expertise, and your your credibility. Ultimately, it it, it gives if you have a blue tick next to your to your um, your your name on your your on Twitter, then it means that you're verified and it's a credible, reputable um, mm. Twitter handle. So, so for example, f- for argument's sake, um, we'll, we'll say John Travolta on Twitter with a blue tick, they've verified and they know that is John Travolta. Yeah, and even, you know, if you're on Instagram or Twitter and you search for somebody, say you want to follow somebody and you put in John Travolta, um, and you might get 10 tr- John Travolta's. There'll be John Travolta fans, yeah. John Travolta wannabes, yes. and then you'll be the real J- John Travolta, or maybe John Travolta doesn't even have an account there. But if you see the blue tick, you know, well, that's definitely the real John Travolta. Okay. Now, the twi- this hack, was it all blue ticks affected? Um, it was. from Now, the first thing I did when I heard about this uh, this morning, PJ, was that I went to Twitter to Jack Dorsey's account. Jack Dorsey, for those of you listening, uh, he's the co-founder and CEO of Twitter. Um, and somebody that I suppose, personally, I find he's, he's taken quite a brave stance in the past few months, especially in relation to misinformation. And some people consider quite controversial in terms of misinformation and the stance they've made. But uh, I checked his Twitter account. And um, basically, he retweeted what Twitter are doing. Twitter announced that they had been breached. There was a security breach. They are doing everything to investigate it at the moment. And as soon as they have more information, they will will share it with everybody. What was the nature um, of the breach? What? So what they said was that um, when employees within Twitter were targeted by cyber criminals, um, particularly employees that had access to specific areas of the Twitter system, um, which they needed in order to access these verified accounts. So that's what they were doing. And that's all they've said. So anything else is speculation. And there's quite, you know yourself, CJ, you know on Twitter, there's an awful lot of speculation if you read the, the comments on it. But Twitter, in what they're saying, is they all of the verified accounts that were affected, they stopped them, they, they closed them down, they, they reduced their capacity and their functionality um, until they made sure that everything was corrected and, and I'm sure that means passwords are changed and yeah. people were notified and tw- so It was on. a cryptocurrency scam, wasn't it? A cryptocurrency scam. Um, and let us not forget, this isn't the first thing. Hmm. I mean, this has happened time and time again in the past. And I've seen an article this morning saying if Twitter can be hacked, does that mean all companies... I mean, of course, yes, every company out there that is using us anything to connect to the internet is at risk all of the time, 24-7, to cybersecurity threats. And they need to have cybersecurity software protecting them. And I'm not just saying that because they work for Trend Micro. 
Yeah. It's it's only, it's a given, you know. Um, and you can imagine Trend Micro, we're at 32 years in the business. Um, we're probably one of the most, um, you know, targeted by cyber criminals because who wouldn't want to take Trend Micro down because of the work that we're doing? We support law enforcement all around the world. We um, and we do what we can to mm. take down cyber criminals and keep the internet a safer place for everybody. So, so um, do we, we know then someone someone got into Twitter's memory banks, for want of a better expression, and specifically was able to target blue tick holders. Blue tick verified yeah. accounts. That took, did that take a lot of knowledge of Twitter's operations or was it just a lucky hacker? So uh, it depends on who's doing this, but I mean, generally speaking, something this big, it, it could definitely be something that was planned and coordinated. It, it does sound like it took a lot of time to do and orchestrate, and they obviously have an agenda. And, um, you know, if you look at the list of accounts that were that, that were possibly infiltrated, and especially with what's going on in the US at the moment. Barack Obama. Uh-huh. Joe Biden. Um, Absolutely, with the elections coming up, it West? sounds like it's political. It's like it? a political agenda, yeah. Um, and look, I, I know we've talked about this before, PJ, but when when we download an app, a social network, like whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, there are terms and conditions that we all accept. And I think sometimes we're so eager to download the app and use it. Yeah, yeah, we just accept the terms and conditions. But those terms and conditions state that you own everything you post, but that the social network reserves the right to do whatever they want with your information. And if, and obviously, there is no such thing as free. So even though it's an app that you don't pay for to download, yeah. there's no thing as free. I, so anything you post out yeah. there is, is up for um, scrutiny, and they need to make money. So through sales and marketing and data analytics, that's how they make their money. And, 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 and this then, is why when, when you're scooting around on Facebook particularly mm-hmm. Facebook, and two days ago you were looking up an ad for, for trainers to buy yeah. trainers online. They're throwing trainers at you on Facebook. That's why. Yeah, yeah they are, yeah. And I, and I think it's, you know, they can almost read your minds now before you even know what you want because of your habits and behaviours online. Yeah. So it's not that they're watching and listening to you. They know almost what your next move is because of your relationship with your device and everything that you do with your device online. So I would just urge people to, you know, remember you, you accept the terms and conditions. There is no such thing as free. And think before you post, because I know we, not, not many of us have those blue verified, um, you know, account handles on Twitter. But, and I was that torn we post, down, Avril. Are you serious? That I was refused. A surely that's illegal, PJ. I know it was nearly three years ago. Well, I was refused a tick. I went into mourning for a period of time. And did they give you a reason? They just said it didn't reach their standards. I'm only going to go again, just just for the crap. But at least last night, now no one's trying to take me for any money. So, so and, and look, at least they have standards. Oh my god, they're social networks, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, no, seriously, they've got it fixed now. But the danger is that other platforms will get hacked. And that this technology... You no, know, who's to say they haven't been hacked already and they just don't know it, PJ? And Good that's point. certainly done before. Look at Yahoo. They didn't know for two years that there was thousands of accounts um, infiltrated and breached. So who knows? Yeah. Which is why it has to come back to the likes of you and me and everybody else out there being vigilant, your password. If your password is pa- called password, you're in serious trouble. Mm. And if all your passwords are called password, good luck to you. You know, you need to really be vigilant. Make it a passphrase. Make it a, a very long, maybe the first sentence of your favorite song. Use a password manager. 
Um, and remember, even though you post everything publicly, there are also private chat messages that can be screen grabbed. Or if you've got one of those blue verifications, you may actually have somebody taking, you know, breaching your account and checking out all your personal communications with different people. And if you are high profile and you are communicating with someone in private message, then that could be shared with the world, whether you like it or not. So we, or it could be your neighbour deciding they suddenly don't like what you're saying. They take a screenshot and share it to the rest of the village. So we just have to be careful that when we're online, whether it's a private mass message, if it's encrypted or not, it can be taken and held against you as now or in 20 years' time. Isn't so it the we, old thing that we said many years ago, Avril? Yeah. Put nothing on social media that you wouldn't be happy to see on a billboard outside your yeah. mother's door. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, think before your post, for God's sake. All right, we'll talk again, no doubt. Avril Ronan, she's Global Programme Manager with Trend Micro, one of the biggest cybersecurity firms in the world. Twitter was hacked. They're across it. They're dealing with it. I think they'll sort it out. But, but who's to say they won't be hacked again? Who's to say it won't be Facebook next, Instagram next, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever the hell you're using these days? Who's to say they haven't been used already, haven't been hacked already? And good advice, if your own information is secure and your own account is as secure as you can possibly make it you're protecting yourself it's a bit like wearing a mask or a bit like wearing PPE you know you have to have virtual PPE the minute you delve into the cesspit that is social media your responsibility is to protect yourself 1850-715-996 coming up frightening trend a frightening drug taking trend that's here in Cork The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the indoor self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station Turner's Cross Remaining open every day for all your laundry needs Selfservicelaundry.ie Cork's 96FM Messaging regarding foreign travel etc When will Michal Martin get tough with foreign travel and the people coming into the country. Well, that wasn't addressed at the briefing last night. They did say that the advice to us is to avoid all non-essential foreign travel for the foreseeable future until at least August the 10th, even though they are going to bring in this famous green list next week. But nothing said, I don't think, about the Americans and the English coming in which is problematic. Although, to be fair and to be balanced, it would now appear that the numbers of Americans coming in on those Dallas flights Dallas flights, are kind of small anyway. Right. Let's turn to a story, a kind of scary story, in the Echo. A story about a thing called snowballing. This is where people, misfortunate people, who are addicted to, say, heroin, and it no longer gives them any kind of a lift or a buzz, they are now mixing it with crack cocaine. What? Or in the other direction. And they're injecting a mixture of crack cocaine and heroin. It's called snowballing. Michael Gearan, did you mention this to me months ago in one of our many conversations? Good morning. Yes, good morning, PJ. And I think we may have spoken about snowballing. It's also referred to as speedballing. 
That's the, is, that's the term you used, yes. Yeah, yeah, which is the, basically the simultaneous taking of crack cocaine and heroin, most likely by injection, but in some cases it's taken by smoking as well. It um, sounds unmercifully dangerous. It's like playing Russian roulette with four chambers of the six in the revolver loaded. And I mean, I cannot overstate the, how dangerous Michael, I'm going to need to clear up that line. I'll give you back there to Fergal for two seconds. That's not the best line in the world. I'll try and get you back on a better one because I have a few questions I want to ask Michael about alcohol and stuff like that. So see, guys, if we can clean that line up a little bit, I'll take a break. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the self-service laundrette at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Spacious, convenient and still open every day. Selfservicelaundry.ie Due to COVID-19, the big summer concerts are all off, but the biggest stars will still play this summer. One, two, three. The Back Garden Festival. It's a new online station that plays non-stop festival hits from the ultimate superstar lineup. Round the clock every day. The Back Garden Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialist in sound this summer. Get all the lowdown and listen live on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Weekly Super Savers from Lidl mean more for your family for less. This week, fresh Irish lamb steaks were 4 69 down to just €4. Euro. 100 grams of cherries were 1.29, now half price at only 64 cent. And get extra large diced chicken fillets for only 2 49 Lidl, more for you. Harvey Norman is here to help. Our spacious stores have reopened and have great deals across our entire range. With sofas from just €389, beds from below €109, big savings on dining furniture with dining tables from just €179 and support local manufacturing with big savings on all Irish-made mattresses. So if you need it now, you can get it at Harvey Norman. Shop safely in-store or online with click and collect and home delivery available at Harvey Norman. We're here to help. Because Imagine's broadband network is connected directly to the national fibre network, Imagine customers get fibre speed broadband that lets them do more. More Netflix, more gaming, more video calling, more home working. That's why two out of three Imagine customers are happy to recommend Imagine's reliable fibre speed broadband service to their friends, family and neighbours. So if you need fibre speed broadband for your home, call Imagine now on 1-800-938-200. That's 1-800-938-200 or go to imagine.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Okay, I hope we got Michael Garen back on a better line. Just (laughs) getting messages. Yes, we know. We know that there is a sexual activity known as snowballing. We're not talking about that. I won't be talking about that on the air anytime soon, to say the least. But we do know it exists. But we're talking about the act, otherwise known as speedballing, of mixing crack cocaine and heroin. And like you were saying, Michael, it's Russian roulette with four chambers full. Yes, indeed, PJ. And it's 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 linked in no. It, there are two reasons why we have we are seeing this occurring now. One is because of the availability of crack cocaine as a drug of note on the streets, which maybe two or three years ago we didn't see. 
Mm. And that availability of crack cocaine is very much driven by the tsunami of powdered cocaine that's available across Ireland. What is crack cocaine for the basic listeners? What is the crack cocaine? Crack cocaine is basically powdered cocaine that has been taken and cooked with another substance in the vast majority of cases bicarbonate of soda. And it is a crystallized substance that is then smoked and in some cases injected, but normally smoked, even though we have reason to believe that the incidence of injection of crack cocaine is probably higher um, than it would be around the rest of the world in Ireland. And it Um, is much more dangerous, even though cocaine itself is dangerous, but it is much more dangerous than cocaine. It is frighteningly potent. It creates a very intense euphoric high that's quite short-lived, but the withdrawals from crack cocaine are horrendous. Now, the, the, the crack cocaine tends to be supplied along similar routes and lines as heroin, and it's not at all uncommon for somebody who starts to abuse crack cocaine to be offered heroin from the dealers as a method of coping with the withdrawals from the crack. So that's so it, that. Oh God, it's terrible. So you'd 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 be taking the crack cocaine, and we've seen what it does to the physical the physical state of somebody, and then they get they get push heroin. To say, oh, that'll make it easier to come down off the crack cocaine. Correct. You have it in one. And <sighs> hence God. the reason why the users that we come in contact with tell us that generally speaking, crack and heroin are available from the same source. So that's the reason we believe that the, the supply lines for heroin um, are similar to, to crack cocaine. Now, crack cocaine, the incidence of crack cocaine um, has increased over the past couple of years in Ireland by 44%. Um, heroin is slightly under decline but the most there was a a report published last week by the HRB and everybody kind of honed in on the crack cocaine piece of it because it was the headline if you like 44% increase in crack cocaine the bit that was was in the background that nobody looked at was the incidence of treatment sought for powdered cocaine has doubled since 2013 Wow So it would appear that like all these these other issues that we're seeing on the extremes of substance misuse, because somebody speedballing would be somebody who's in real trouble with, with drug dependence, oh, yeah. um, is a graduation up from the, the huge issue we have with powdered cocaine, because somebody doesn't wake up in the morning and decide they're going to try drugs and start speedballing that day. I mean, it, there's a progression that leads up to somebody engaging in that really extreme, dangerous kind of stuff. So, I mean, it. it ta- I mean, I heard you talking about Michal there in the context of COVID. One of the things the government needs to do is they need to start becoming proactive as to what we are going to do with the very, very serious epidemic we have around powdered cocaine, which is driving all these other things. Yeah, no, that 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 concoction of those two powerful Class A drugs, what is that doing to the human body, Michael? I mean, it's like PJ driving a car with one foot in the accelerator and the other on the brake because heroin is a sedative and cocaine is a stimulant. Crack cocaine is a very uh, powerful stimulant. So you're having these two simultaneous... The users can hardly put into words, people that have done this, can hardly describe the sensations they feel when they do this concoction of drugs together. The brain is um, like porridge. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, and even crack cocaine in its own, the psychological devastation it wreaks on the users post-use is, is indescribable in actual fact. Top of which would be probably suicidal ideation. Oh, no. Oh, no. We really yeah. need to get a, get a handle on it. You've talked about cocaine with me many, many times. And we remember that guard, what's his name, up the country, Christy something, Christy Mangan. Christy Mangan. He cut loose last, a few months ago. In, in a way, we've never heard a guard cut loose before. Maybe we need some more of them to do it. Absolutely, and I mean, the number one priority for, for, for us at the moment, we're talking about a citizens' assembly and the legalisation of cannabis. We need to get a handle on the amount of cocaine that's been sold and used in Ireland, because it's not funny. Can I bring something up with you, Michael, while I Definitely. have you? Uh, and to do, to do with alcohol. Let me, let me play the clip this morning from Padraig Cribben of the VFI. Now, earlier in the pandemic, we spoke about alcohol and this, the, the, the abuse of alcohol within the pandemic. But I just want to bring up a point that, that Padraig Cribben made. Just, just have a listen here. And the real issue that we're seeing uh, around the country is we're seeing it in house parties and we're actually seeing quite a, a growth in illegal she-beans growing up around the country. I think that they've really got to look at whether they're going to allow alcohol to continue to be sold in supermarkets. What's your thinking on that, Michael? Alcohol's freely available in, on, in supermarkets at a time when we have a problem with house parties and as you said to me previously a problem with increased levels of alcohol abuse I think I'm not so much worried about PJ where it's sold I'm more concerned about the price that it's sold at um, and I think we need, need to do something around minimum unit pricing because in these multiple retailers where, where alcohol is being sold you can buy an awful lot of strong alcohol for a very small amount of money I mean, you can buy bottles of vodka for like 12, 13, 14, 15 euro. And like, that's the thing. When um, I when Australia introduced minimum unit pricing for alcohol, their any alcohol-related admissions fell by 33% in the first year. So like, these, this abuse issue, now I, I'm keeping this separate now from alcoholism, but where people are abusing alcohol generally speaking, they are not going to a pub and drinking it over the counter. So the abuse is happening because it's very cheap and there's no portion control. So I suppose the gentleman you had on there from the VFI was right in the point that he was making, that like people, we need to control how much alcohol you can buy for a certain amount of money in the same place that you go and do your weekly food shopping or whatever. Because the amount of alcohol that has been sold in supermarkets and multiples over the lockdown and the extent to which alcohol was used by people to self-medicate the stresses of the COVID-19 lockdown was very concerning, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, it, we did get, a, get to a point, and I'm not being flippant, but in with the box of cornflakes and, and the loaf of bread, when to half slab of beer. It was just became part of the weekly, or a full slab, it became part of the weekly shop. It did, and I got a feeling on a few occasions that I was in the supermarket and while I was waiting to get whatever I got, I was observing what was going on. I got the feeling that the cornflakes and the milk and the bread were nearly an afterthought in some trolleys. You saw literally trolleys full of alcohol being purchased and taken away at the time. And there's no question or doubt about it that the consumption of alcohol amongst that cohort of individuals went up during um, the COVID-19, even though some of the alcohol um, retail, retailers were saying that it was static or down. It was not. The amount of alcohol overall might have consumed overall may have fallen, 
but that was because in the main that the pub drinkers dropped out, the ones that went out for a social drink in the pub at the weekend or what have you. Now, we've also had the um, the warning about house parties and, and particularly, and I'm referring back to Kerry, where we know that a COVID problem began at a house party down there two weekends ago. Young people going to house parties, large amounts of drink that they bought quite cheaply. Is that also a breeding ground for drug experimentation and drug problems, Michael? There's no question about it. And I'd say these young people that are holding these parties where a large amount of alcohol is consumed, I have no doubt that such gatherings are havens for cocaine consumption and various other party drug consumption as well, one of the most popular being MDMA. So there's like the days where young people consumed alcohol only, which would have been the case in people of yours or my generation, are gone. All these parties are also equally fuelled by stimulants in the main, um, nitrous oxide to some degree, definitely cocaine and definitely MDMA, I'd say, among other things. So so worth worth watching. I, I hope, my friend, that you are not facing a tsunami of new clients. Well, this. I mean, our, our, our inquiries have gone up, PJ, 50% since we started to come out of lockdown. And we're now back operating it at full capacity. But to put it in context, Brewery alone is, is taking a thousand inquiries per month at the moment. Wow, that's shocking. A thousand inquiries from prospective clients. Obviously, we can't cater to them all. No. Or they may, may all not be at the point where they want to go into rehab, but we're dealing with 50% more calls than we would have been after Christmas. You have a thousand, people, not... a thousand people a month reaching out for help, Michael. Yeah, a thousand people of, of in, in all sorts of states, PJ, I mean, without getting into it. But all these, so when somebody gets to the point that they're ringing brewery, they're well and truly in crisis, you know, right. and uh, it, it's severe. Keep up the superb work that you continue to do. Michael Gearan, 1850 Michael's an addiction counsellor with Coon uh, Lee in brewery. And look, our go-to guy on, on all of these things... Yeah, the snowballing versus speedballing. Um, speedballing is far more widely used as a term. Um, snowballing is used, but speedballing a lot more. Um, I'm not even going to attempt to describe what snowballing is. Look it up. We won't be discussing it on the opinion line. Shall we just say? Caller says if the drinks industry are serious about responsible drinking, <clears throat> they need to do something about minerals Three cans of Coke for one fifty in deals. How much in a pub? And that's right comparison to make, like would like. Compare a small shop price for Coke to a small pub. Oh, yeah. You get 10 cans of, what is it, in them little cases. You get 20 cans of Coke in Tesco for, I think it's 14 quid now. Now, go into a shop or into a pub and buy 20 Cokes. You won't have much left out of your week's wages. Mag says this is scary stuff, but to measure it... The guards in Cork have been doing fabulous work in tackling the drug issues locally, given the amount of seizures they've made in the last few weeks alone. And to be fair to Michael, he is never uh, backwards in coming forwards with regard to praise for the work that the guards have to do uh, in the drugs area. Tony was on. We don't normally do these, but can you imagine someone pacing around looking for their keys. Tony says, I lost a set of keys last night at Cathedral Road near the bus stop. Just wondering if anyone picked them up. 
I'd really appreciate you giving us a mention for it. Don Tone, 1850-715-996. There is a new star sign. There is, you know, a new star sign. What are you? Are you a Taurus or a Capricorn or a Virgo or a Gemini? Well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not. <laughs> maybe you've got a new star sign that you didn't know about at all. Maybe you are, and you're waiting for it, an Ophicus. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Now, NASA says it's been there forever. But there's a new star sign. The Twitter machine has gone a little bit demented about snowballing. Yes. We know. We know. Okay. The Echo used the term. Others have used the term for mixing heroin and crack cocaine. But as Michael said, speedballing is the far more commonly used one. Right? So we know, right? We know. 1850-715-996. Now this new star sign is called, I hope I get this right, Ophiuchus, the snake bearer. Stick with me now, right? Stick with me. And it's for people who are born between November the 29th and December the 7th. That would have made you originally... I'll get to it in a minute. Now, you would wonder why I'm about to talk to one of the most reputable science and space journalists in the world about astrology. Well, I'm not really. There is a science connection, and bear with me. Because astrological signs are determined by the position of the sun in relation to the planets. And when you consider the position of the sun in relation to the planets, there's one position that isn't listed in the various star signs that you read in the paper. And that's what gives us Ophiuchus. Leo Enright, good morning. Morning, PJ. Give me the science here, rather than the rather than the you will meet a man in a dark alley. All right, um, the science is fairly straightforward, PJ. Um, as you as you of course know, uh, the earliest astronomers that we know of were in Ireland. Um, they were active uh, five thousand years ago when they built Newgrange, and they pointed the entrance of Newgrange at the rising sun on um, uh, the, the shortest day of the year. Now, that takes some serious brain power and understanding of the stars, the sky, and more importantly, where the sun is and where it will be. Now, a thousand years later, we've all heard of the Babylonians, a great civilization that came along Paddy come lately, long after the great Irish civilization had been going for a thousand years, I mentioned in brackets, uh, the Babylonians did the same thing that the Irish had been doing for a thousand years. They watched where the sun was in the sky. And basically, somebody must have been sitting around the kitchen table one evening with a pizza, and she's cutting the pizza up the way you do into 12 pieces for those gr- hungry munchkins sitting in front of her, and she says to herself, 
Jesus, we, maybe if we divided the sky into 12 pieces the way we divide a pizza. Okay. So that's where the whole Zodiac thing came from. Uh, it was used by astronomers until about 300 years ago uh, as a way of finding your way around the sky. So it's not, in total, it's not totally unscientific. Uh, we have yeah. much simpler ways of doing it now. Yeah. But the Zodiac was 12 pieces of pie, but actually the sun moves into 13 places in the sky, and that's where the, that's where the poor old Babylonians had the problem, yeah. and they dropped one of the pizza slices. Basically. Is this because, Leo, and back in my physics and science days long ago, I learned that the sun doesn't actually move in a circle. It's not an actual circle, is it? Oh, okay. Um, it's kind of right, off-circular. Well, let's start with the basics, PJ, okay? We move, not the sun. Yeah. Exactly. The earth goes round the sun, as Galileo famously, famously said under his breath when he was denouncing his own theories about the earth going round the sun. He, he whispered, but it moves. Mm. And that's what happens. We move round the sun. Yeah. So we're like on the edge of the pizza, and the sun is in the middle. Mm-hmm. But we use the we look all the way across the sun to the other side, and it's the pizza size on the other side, the pizza slice on the other side that we're interested in. That's the place in the sky where the sun appears to be at each point uh, during the year. Yeah, and because the sun appears. In 13 constellations, of course, there are many more constellations in the sky, but these are the constellations that you can see at sunrise or sunset. Right. And because there's 13 of these, that's that's where this strange (laughs) internet chaos broke out. (laughs) It's funny, PJ, because I actually tracked down the source of this story. Yeah. And it's a wonderful page in a blog that the American Space Agency put up years ago. Now, I know an awful lot of the younger people listening to us will have spent lovely mornings or afternoons at Blackrock Castle at the observatory. Yes. um, With the wonderful staff there explaining astronomy to them. Well, now, this blog is the sort of thing that you would find on the BCO, the Blackhawk Castle Observatory website. Um, it explains why astrology is not astronomy. Yeah. And one of the things it explains is that astrology is, is wrong, it says, because the sun goes through 13 constellations, not, not 12. 12. Yeah. So some genius then on the internet went, went a step further and started recalculating where would all of the uh, where would we be if you recalculated with 13 uh, signs of the zodiac rather than 12? Uh, and that's where all the fun erupted this week. But it's a, it's a good story because... There's real science uh, the, there, like. There's real science there. The, the signs of the zodiac are, are real in the sense that they were used by astronomers. When, when an astronomer went out in the evening in the, in the 1600s, she would look through a telescope and she'd need to be able to tell her friends where in the sky she was looking. And they didn't have, in those days, the ability 
to do the sort of GPS and all the fancy stuff we do on our mobile phones today. So she would say, um, I looked in uh, Pisces, and what did I see? Only a bright new star. So that's why these signs of the zodiac were still very important to scientists up to relatively recently. But they're held on to by the astrologers who are not scientists. Um, and uh, my old friend, my dear departed friend, Patrick Moore, um, ah. used to get into great flights about the astrologers. As I remember imagine. him. I remember him. Yeah. Pat, oh, he's, a great man. he's a great friend of Ireland, Patrick, a great friend of Ireland. But he, um, he used to get into great flights of uh, agitation about the astrologers. And the one point Patrick used to make, and he looked, at, you know, over a steaming pint, Patrick would always make this point if somebody asked him about astrology. He would say, look, he says, you know, they say that Jupiter is in Pisces when you're born. Therefore, it affects you, make, changes your personality. Well, says Patrick, the midwife who delivered you was closer to you than Jupiter. So her gravity would have more effect on you than Jupiter would. So why, aren't, why isn't your personality influenced by your midwife and what side of the table she was standing on? It's, it's, it's interesting. Leo, before I, before I let you go, um, something that I observed, I probably should have observed it years ago, um, as we were at home during lockdown, of more evening times. Explain for me why the sunset moves. Well, this is, again, precisely to do with, what, with the way in which the Earth spins on its axis. The, the, the North Pole doesn't point directly north all the time. The Earth spins like a top. Uh, and that's why we have the sun, we have the midnight sun, uh, in the northern hemisphere. I've, I've, I've been there. It's an amazing sight to see the sun blazing at midnight, uh, low on the horizon, admittedly. Mm. But th that's because the Earth's pole is tilted towards the sun. The North Pole is tilted towards the sun uh, in summertime. And then in the winter, it's tilted away from the sun. So we get long nights and yeah. they, they have no... They've no daylight at all at the North Pole. But if you're walking out today or tomorrow or for the next several weeks, PJ, the one thing you need to watch out for in the northwestern sky, don't be look, don't just wait till the sun has set. Just after the sun has set, about 10 o'clock in the evening, yeah. step out, look into the sky and see the new comet, Neowise. Oh. It is the greatest comet we have seen in 25 years. Can I see that with the and naked eye? You can see it with the naked eye. It will be clearly visible from tomorrow onwards. I'm comfortable in saying that when you walk out and look to the northwest, you can't miss it. So it's a magnificent sight hanging out there over Cork City. So if you're looking at the sun going down to the west, you'd be looking... What you'd be, you'd be looking bit, to, a little bit to the right, to the right of it, but, and, and what yeah, would you expect you to any, see? You will see it, it'll be uh, with in, with the naked eye. It will be a fuzzy blob. It, it's it's definitely visible, and you will see a tail. Oh. But if you have a pair of binoculars, you do not. Now I want to emphasize: you do not want a, or need a telescope. 
you put a pair of binoculars, the sort of thing you take to the racing. If you have a pair of binoculars and you look up at it, you'll get a magnificent view of the comet. It's about, the comet itself is pretty small in astronomical terms. It's about five kilometers across. It's about the size of Cork City, the center of Cork City. Whoa! And, but its tail goes out into the uh, into space, uh, pushed away from the comet by the sun. It's a tail of gas and dust, and it's in a magnificent site. It's called Neowise. It's a weird name. It's actually named after a satellite uh, space probe that discovered it. But it's, it's one of the best comets in the last hundred years. Uh, and uh, I really recommend Let's look for that. We get a clear it. sunset. One of the always, always good to talk to you, Leo. We always get something extra from Leo Enright, international science correspondent. Thank you, sir. There's a hack update from Twitter, according to independent.ie. Twitter has now banned Bitcoin addresses from being posted on the platform because they've traced it back. Thanks for that. I'm not a Capricorn anymore after that conversation. I'm not. I don't know what I am yet. Queerhawk, probably. That's it. Thank you, Fergal. Thank you, Katie. Shut up, Twitter. We know what snowballing is. See you tomorrow just after nine. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.